Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. It starts with a taste. Knowingly or unknowingly from a cursed creature who has decided to curse you too. You find yourself in love, obsessed, and soon living an existence of servitude. Ghoul's Fatal Addiction Servitude takes place in the Twin Cities of Minnesota during the winter of 1988 and tells the tale of Keith, played by Becca, Lewis, played by Joaquin, and Dennis, played by Slavic, as they are tasked to track down a missing ghoul and are exposed to the darkness that surrounds them. If you would like to reach us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Ghoul's Fatal Addiction Servitude. So where we left off, Lewis, you left the Ellsworth Towers and got into your car. All three of you kind of went your own way. You knew Keith was going to go look into this letterhead from Brentwood Industries. You sent, you didn't really send, but you knew that Dennis was going to go look into that kind of that property management slash slumlord guy. And you were going to go talk to Dustin's ex-wife, Mary. While you're driving there in your car, you notice that the afternoon is kind of becoming even more gloomier. You're looking through your front window of your car while you're driving on the highway. And you can kind of see that snow clouds. You know, it looks like it's probably going to finally snow tonight as you're making your way down. It's about one or two. So you're not really dealing with much traffic at all. Plus, it's Saturday. What's going on in your head as you're driving to this lady's house? What's going on with your head? I mean, with everything that's you've been processing from what you discovered. Right now, he's seeing that that while he honestly he would he would have preferred just to uh, if it if it been up to him, he would just like just write off this Dustin guy as lost cause from what he found out in his place was like some degenerate guy probably got too much cocaine in his system. And this is like well, you know, he's believed he's not really worth you know the effort to try and find him, but he says he was asked to do so by his friend, and because you know there's a some kind of award for him. So when you when you're going through this and you're processing this and everything, and you said you're doing it because there's some kind of reward in it, has it crossed your mind at all the fact that when Christopher spoke to you, he said that this was a peer or this was someone that a peer of his knew? And you, as we discussed before, you're kind of little in tuned with what exactly is kind of going on with you. I mean, you don't know exactly the P's and Q's, but you are definitely know that somehow you're being bestowed upon, right? And my question is, and is Lewis putting two and two together right now and maybe seeing that this person, this Dustin person might be in the same situation you're in, or is that just something that he's it's, not it's, it's, it's on? like he might, he might have some vague idea in the back of his head, but he's not, he's like actively denying that connection. Like, no, it, it can't be like, you know, I'm composed. I'm me. I'm still in control. He, that guy. Nah, I'm not like him. The very, that's a very interesting outlook that you have there too, because it's almost like, do you want to be confronted with the fact, right? That like this person who is probably in the same boat as you is doing these things. And what does that have to say about you if you were to like look inwardly at that? So that's an interesting concept because I think that that is one thing where people that interest me most about the concept of ghouls is, you know, how do they process? How do they compartmentalize? what exactly is going on with them. You know, of course, everyone says there's just love and, and affection or or just this weird, like weird way, weird tie to their dominant. But 
how do they process it? How do they exactly handle it? What kind of mental toll does it take? So thank you for that insight. So as you're driving along, you get off on the exit and you get into this middle-class neighborhood. And as you're driving, you kind of see some like kids are kind of tossing a football back and forth. You see them in their yards. You see a couple of men raking their front yards, getting the dead leaves, especially at this time of the year. You know, a lot of people want to get that raked up before the snow falls on top of them. And you slowly get looking at the addresses on your right and you see the address that she gave you and you see that there's this minivan that's like parked in the driveways and you're able to park along the road. What are you doing from there? All right. So since I don't really know what she looks like, I'm just going to go up to the address and like knock on the door. You as you knock on the door, you hear muffled footsteps come walking up and you hear the, you see the door open up and you see this figure stand before you she's about like 5 foot 8 has some blue jeans on that are kind of tapered to the top tapered at the top they look to be like you know freshly new you see she has these white tennis shoes on and she's also has kind of like a a hoodie university of minnesota hoodie on she has her hair is blonde and it's permed kind of like in a roundish shape around her head and you see that she has glasses and freckles on but she looks to be of like average weight to come along with that size but you definitely get the vibe from her like a middle-aged you know lady in her probably mid to late 30s who's used to like taking her kids to hockey games or soccer games or something to that extent and you see there's a moment and she looks at you and she's like and i take it you're lewis Yes, ma'am. I uh, I called you earlier to talk about your uh, ex-husband. Yes. Yes. If you could. Yeah, come on in. Come on in here. And she opens the door and she uh, kind of like lets you in and she motions for the couch for you to sit. She's like, here, please take a seat. And she's like, would you like some tea, some coffee, anything like that? Soda? No, no, no. Thank you. I'm I'm fine. And she goes, okay, I'm going to go get me something to drink real quick. And you see her walk into the kitchen. And as she walks into the kitchen area, you're looking around, of course, just kind of scanning the couch that you're sitting on. The back of it faces like the front door area faces, you know, where your car is parked at. And there's like a window that's behind that, kind of like a picture window a little bit. And you see the left, there's like a love chair and also a bookshelf. And on this bookshelf, you see some random books on there, but you also see some like picture frames that have like pictures of you're looking at the pictures and you kind of see like one looks like like maybe like a 10 year old boy. And the other looks like a seven-year-old boy. One's a school picture where like the kind of the seven-year-old has a goofy look on his face and has like a missing tooth. And you look at the picture of like the 10-year-old and you see him, he's kind of like in hockey gear. Like it's like a picture that's taken for like a hockey team that maybe youth hockey team that he plays on. See, there's like this TV, kind of larger TV, but it's the kind that like sit would sit on the ground. And you see on top of there, there's like a VCR and like a little satellite cable box. And you look kind of in the corner of that, there's some stairs that go up and you see this big grandfather clock. That's sitting there. You just kind of hear it while you quietly. The TV's not on. You just hear her in the kitchen. You hear the cupboard open up and close as she takes the glass out. And she, you hear the water turn on. And then you hear it turn off and she walks in. And you see she comes and sits at the reclining chair, but she kind of turns it a little bit. It's able to spin a little bit to where it's facing you. And she puts takes a sip of the glass and puts it on a coaster that's on the coffee table that's in front of the couch. And she looks, sits back and you see from this lady as she's looking at you, you see, she kind of has like a look of determination. Like she's looking at you. I don't want to use the term fiercely, but she's definitely not looking at you warm. Like, and she takes a deep breath and she's like, so you said some friends of Dustin have you looking for him because he's missing. Yes. uh, He hasn't showed up to work for like a couple of weeks. And I, Checked out his apartment, didn't see any sign of him there. Do you know if he has some other house? No. 
I haven't seen him in about three months, four months. Whenever we signed the agreement with our lawyer's president about custody and about alimony. Uh, do you mind if I asked how, if parting was friendly? Was it hostile? Uh, sometimes when people, sometimes people get divorced, they change a little bit. There's a moment where she looks at you. And you can see she like you see a little anger flare up in her and she gets up and you see her walk over to her bookshelf and you see that she pulls out this like dictionary and you see she opens it up and you see she takes an envelope. It looks like a kind of a, like an envelope that holds that's supposed to hold like a Hallmark card or something to that extent. And you see that she puts the dictionary back in there and she turns around and she sits down in the love seat and she takes out like some developed pictures. There's like three of them and she kind of puts them on the coffee table and you look down and you see there's a second you it's like a, a side profile shot of someone's face on both sides and then a forward shot and at first you don't recognize who it is and then you look up at her and you realize it's her and you look down at there and you see that like she has like two swollen black eyes and her nose is like really swollen she has like la- a couple lacerations on her cheek and you kind of realize it's her and she looks at you and she's like if you were to guess after seeing this what would you say I'd say you made the right decision getting away from him. Can't say he sounds like the uh, most upstanding guy from what I've heard about him. But I was hired to find him, so... She looks at you and she says, you you, you keep telling me that someone is looking for him. May I ask who's looking for him? Uh, Well, mostly they're his employers. And as you can guess, there's some money involved. And if he's not there, money's not quite where it should be, so... Yeah. You may judge him, and you have every right to judge him, but let me tell you that the man I married is not the man that I divorced. And the moment where I feel that he became the man that I divorced is when he started working for that company. It was not too long after that. So if you would excuse my rudeness, I really do not fucking care if he took money of theirs or if they're trying to find him. Good luck. They each can have each other. Because... My husband, the one who my kids are afraid to talk to now, who do not want to be alone with because they saw what he did to their mother, is the same man who thought that that company was more important than us. And I feel that whatever stress or whatever pressure they put on him to perform was too much for him to handle. Now, again, I'm not condoning what he did to me, and that man will never be in my life again if I have any call on it, okay? So I don't care if he left. I don't care where he went. I don't care what the fuck he did. But I will tell you that I have zero compassion, zero caring at all for any kind of loss that Brentwood Industries has taken or he has taken. So if you have nothing else to add, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to go, okay? I have nothing to offer you or that company. I don't know. I don't know where he's at. And that's good because now my kids can leave some kind of normal life and I don't have to live in fear. Just one last thing, please, before I go. So, did he make any new friends that before you guys separated? Any anyone who kept up kept popping up a lot? No, no one. He he actually would either he was working all the time. That's all he was doing was working all the time, all and he right. was stressed. He wasn't sleeping. His anger was coming out. He would have mood swings. Nothing was good enough for him. Our family that was just not but good enough for him for five years, five years ago, all of a sudden, he couldn't stand to be around us. He never wanted to be around us. He could never stop talking about work. And then I find out that he's trying to pretend that he's someone he's not with all these yuppies who are working in that company. He wasn't like that before. 
he was a humble man. Unlike a lot of the people that work in, in all these companies that are, are, are in these cities of ours, he, he was married when he got into it. He was married when he was going through going to school, when he was going through college, we were married. He wasn't chasing anything like that. I don't know what happened to him. I don't. I tried to figure it out when I tried to make it work and he didn't want to work. He didn't want to, he couldn't admit that he needed help. And that, those pictures that you you see there, that happened because I asked him what was wrong one day. And that's what I got. That's what I got in return for caring. I see. So, I'm sorry for uh, bringing up bad memories. Uh, if there's anything else you could think of that you do wish to share, I will write down a number for uh, just thank you and I hope you have a day, better day. Yes, thank you. And she like gets up and she goes and opens the door before you even walk over there. And she's just like staring at you till you get up to walk out. All right. And so as he walks out, Lewis is in the back of his mind, he's starting to think, he's starting to be a bit more uh, disturbed by the implications because that he was as mad from what he sounds like. He wasn't, he changed at some point. And right now he knows that, you know, the biggest thing he could think of that he was something, anything like any of all the people he, Lewis is, that, that that's like the common thread between the two. There's like some commonality there. And he's like, I don't know how much I'd like that. I how much there's anything linking us at all, and so he's just sort of like bit uh, on edge as he goes back to his car. Has Lewis, in the last like four or five, how many years he's had a relationship with Christopher, noticed such changes in him? He has noticed, like you know, I I guess I am a little bit testier at times when someone at work uh, or when someone just you know fails to you know file a paperwork right or you know messes up something up. I, did yell that guy? I know. Did sort of. It's nothing. It's nothing. You know, he's he like acknowledged that there are some incidents in his past that he you know, more anger in him, but he's like, no, 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 that's something different. I, I'm still in control. Gotcha. So he's still compartmentalizing it all and everything, but it's like slowly like coming to the forefront of his thoughts, everything that he's hearing and dealing with and such. Definitely. So we'll cut to Dennis. Dennis, when you leave the apartment you were actually given an address by lewis to where robert sanders property management office is at you know he had told you that he felt that you'd probably be the best to to go speak to him because of the type of clientele he deals with robert sanders office the address that he gave you is kind of in the northern part of minneapolis not quite where like the ghetto is where you're kind of aware of like where the ghetto is and especially those echo projects but you know it's kind of like on the border there uh it's in a strip mall as you drive up you kind of see that there's like a pawn shop there and there's like a barber shop there and then you see like robert sanders property management it's up in letters there and while you're driving there before you even park like what's going on in your head with everything that you discovered, the realization of, especially that really powerful moment that you had where you saw the second video, the one where okay. he was in the middle of the menage or in the threesome there and that you saw like the despair in his eyes while he was in the middle of the act and everything just kind of solidified in your thoughts. Like what are you thinking while you drive to this office? Well, Dennis is just thinking like, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is Lawrence gotten me into? This is some really weird shit. Like, I know that Lawrence is weird, and you know he he does, you know, yeah, he basically is sort of aware of what he is, but he didn't expect like you know this sort of environment and these sort of things actually happening. You know, 
he said, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. He drinks blood, you know, whatever. Maybe there's more of them out there. But what even is this, you know? Because Dennis, he's like a very, he has a very powerful, let's say, self-control. So he sort of chalks up sort of these urges sometimes he gets as something just, you know, as artists are, who they are, you know, drug, sex, and whatever. That's, that's just part of the lifestyle. You know, I haven't changed at all. And what the fuck is this, though? Who is this guy? Why did he do what he did? And why should I find him also? Like, what the hell? Would you say two things? Would you say that there is like a connection you feel you share with him after that moment of empathy where, I mean, you rolled out of game, out of character, you're in game. You rolled a lot of successes. You got seven successes, man, which is like an incredible amount of successes, especially for something like that. Would you say Well, I think a bit, but I think generally that Dennis is like a very empathetic person when it comes especially to the plight of other people. So, uh, you know, he might sometimes act like a sort of, uh, you know, just jabbing at people or whatever, but, uh, you know, he really likes helping them as well. And so I think it's just part of his personality. I would almost say like that mixture of empathy and self-control that you have makes you the abuse that you deal with at the hands of Lawrence even more, more impactful. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because like you, yeah, you're, you're this person who's, and it's weird. It's this weird dichotomy that you have right now. Uh, if anything of that opening scene that you dealt with Lawrence at the club was just a small factor of like what you've dealt with for like the last four or five years. Oh Yeah. And and then now you're seeing this, so definitely. So you park in front of this office that's in the strip mall. The, there, you see one other car that's parked there in the front, but you think maybe they're there for like the barbershop or the dry cleaner, and you get out of your car, and as you open the door, you hear a little bell ring. It's like one of those glass doors where you can kind of pull it open, and you hear the bell ring, and you see straight ahead of you a desk, like an office desk, but it's really older. And you see that there's this lady that's sitting behind there and you're trying to make out her features through a cloud of cigarette smoke that is lingering in there. She looks to be maybe about 50, 60 years old. She has horribly dyed hair. That's like blonde, but it's like really fried almost. And she kind of has like blotchy skin and tries to cover up with makeup. And she has really bright red lipstick on. And you see that she smiles at you. And you, when she smiles at you, you see on her yellow teeth, like a little nick of the lipstick, like she has some on her front two teeth, like she didn't realize that she got it on there while she's smoking the cigarette that's just like in this ashtray that's burning amongst like a ton of other cigarette butts that are shoved in there. Like it hasn't been emptied like it should be. And she looks up at you through this cloud of smoke and you look to the left and you see this huge like pin board where you see a lot of like Polaroids of different homes. And you see, or like different apartments and they have like price amounts, like, you know, $500 a month, great deal, you know, or like 750 cozy of house. And you see a ton of them that are all like pinned on there. And she looks at through you through the smoke and she takes the cigarette again, takes a drag and she blows it out. And she's like, you looking for a place to live, baby? No, love. I'm here to see uh, Robert Sanders. Oh, Robert. Yeah, he's he's back behind there. What, what can I help you with, baby? What can I tell him that you need? Uh, I'm here to settle a debt for a certain Dustin Edwards. And you see, she. oh, OK. Yeah. And she gets up and you see she gets up and walks like behind her desk. You see like these 
thinning older legs that are kind of real veiny and she has like this jean skirt on and you could tell it's like these high heel shoes that are like leopard print and she has this white blouse on and you could kind of like just see that she's trying to grasp onto her youth of like 30 years prior but she tried to kind of like slowly tries to walk in these high hills that are a little too high for her and you see her knock on this door that's behind the desk and she cracks it open and she's like robbie baby someone's here to see you and you hear him go fuck and you hear him like this creaking of this office chair as he as it with weight shifts in it and he gets up out of it and you kind of see his figure come out the door and he's like thinner really thin he looks to be about the same age as her he has like a liver spotted head he's kind of balding a little bit but he has like this 12 o'clock shadow that's like really grayish more gray than darkish and you can kind of almost like smell the cigarette smoke too come from inside his office as he opens it up he's wearing these chino pants uh with like some work boots and he has like a button up black shirt that's like tucked in kind of but a little bit of it sticking out of the back because he's so skinny it's almost like he can't keep the shirt tucked into the back and he walks up towards you and he's like yeah what do you need buddy yeah i'm here on behalf of well on behalf of dustin edwards you know he commissioned some art for me and then said he couldn't pay for it or well he did pay for it in advance but then he said that he had some debts to settle and so that basically the art should come to you he looks at her he's like look up look up this dustin edwards you're saying his name is yeah dennis noble by the way photographer oh Oh, yeah yeah, sort of shake his hand yeah and he kind of just shakes and looks at your hair like looks a little at your hair like a little dismissive you know because and he just shakes your hand and he looks at her he's like who's look up this look at this guy that he's talking about dustin edwards and you see her like she like pulls this drawer out from behind the desk and you hear yeah. ruffling through some files uh I, I sort of you know just probably sit down somewhere if i can or yeah there's a there, you see there's two chairs yeah. in front of the desk yeah so i'm like this dustin edwards you know piece of work real bad taste if you know complete degenerate if you know what i mean <laughs> he just kind of he looks at you again and he's just like wait for her to pull something up and then she pulls out this folder and she hands it to him and he looks at it and he pulls out and he's like he doesn't owe us any money buddy he has a lease with us for an apartment but the guy's always really? paid on time yeah yeah paid on time and everything never had any issue oh. he actually pays like in advance he pays like every three months and just kind of like i don't yeah, know what to I tell mean, you man stories i've heard about this guy you know the parties and everything yeah i'm surprised he even leased to him you know uh really yeah i mean he got, kind of got a shit when he looks at him, he looks at you and he's like i thought this guy was a pal of yours you don't know he has an apartment like you don't know where he lives i know where he lives but was he always paying on time is he still paying on time yeah he's good for the next three months man that's really weird you know just because he seemed to have just skipped town and told me to get you these paintings what the hell oh well so, so you're saying he's not living there anymore probably you know i've went there found a spare key empty must have been empty for you know some time where, where does your buddy live where do you think he lives at man i tell him the address where we were that that is not where i'm renting to him that is not this place here and he closes the folder and he taps it what the fuck you think that this place rents apartments in Ellsworth Towers? <laughs> you you see the lady look at you through the clouds, smoke you just chicks. And buddy, I don't know what your buddy I don't think you know what your buddy was getting into, but sounds like to Probably me. Probably not. Buddy, Tell me more. Well, I don't know, man. I'm not supposed to be giving out and you see him like put the folder between his arms and he looks at you looking down. He's like, I'm not supposed to be giving out people's information like this, like their address. But if you were concerned enough, you know. No. 
I still have that art I can send you. I don't deal with do he like looks down at her and he looks around. Does it look like I deal with art, buddy? It's not about dealing with art. It's about having something that's worth more than I sort of I wouldn't know how to sell or what to do with art. I deal with currency, man, if you can't tell. Yeah. So depending on how much you care about your buddy here, you might get what's in here. And you see this okay. guy just looking down, he has a smirk on his face. Okay. Okay. So how much you care about your buddy? I sort of take out, light up a cigarette. I might, you know. How much is he worth to me? Sort of look at the place. 200 bucks. You, sir, got yourself a deal. And he, like, puts the, he puts the, slams the, like, slaps the folder in front of the girl closer to the woman. And she's like, get the 200, no receipt. And he, like, turns around, walks in his office. And you just see him chuckling under his breath as he walks in his office and closes the door. And she's looking at you. She's like, she slowly, like, kind of tries to seductively look at you. She, like, kind of, like, turns her head a little bit and looks at you. And she, like, puts her hand, like, her old veiny hand that has these hot pink nails. She puts it over the folder and she's like you know i like the rock and roll types you do do you oh yeah oh yeah she's like if you want to meet tonight i can make this 150 and he won't know Uh, it's a deal it's a deal you know where you were gonna meet yeah he's gonna stand her up you know just oh yeah i know she's like i'm baby baby i've been on this earth for a little while in case you can't tell here's how it works you'll give me 200 dollars, and then when we meet up tonight i'll give you the 50 back all right yeah, sure. It's a deal. All right. And then she like waiting for the $200 before she slides over the folder. Yeah. And she yeah, takes... I'll slide the dollars. Take a look at the folder, you know, just to yeah. make sure it's all there. Before she hands you the folder, though, she like just like writes her phone number on pen on the folder, Manila folder. Mm-hmm. And she like slides it over and takes the $200. And there's a moment where she's lingering where your hand goes over and she just kind of like puts her hand you feel kind of like the calluses under on her fingers a little bit go over the top of your hands and she just lingers there for a second and then she just slowly takes it back she's like you call me okay uh sure yeah you know what i have this great idea meet me at i give him the address of lawrence's club and i say look for lawrence that's what i go by it's my stage name she's like okay yeah i'll do that i'll do that and then as you open the folder, as you look in there, you see it's a lease and you see your address on the lease. And the address is actually on the south side of Minneapolis. It's definitely not, definitely not at all Ellsworth Towers. This is actually an area that you're kind of used to because this is the area where like more of like the, it's like the south side of Minneapolis is where the hippie generation from this area went bad, went sour. You know, where like a lot of these people who are like free love. You know, these people who escaped smaller town, North Dakota and Minnesota, kind of went to the the city, which was the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, to kind of live the free love lifestyle where the drugs slowly took over and the prostitution slowly took over and where these these apartments, these just crappy apartments that are in the area. Now, it's not like the north side at all where there's like the projects or anything like that, but this is definitely not like a nice area to go and see. This is actually an area where you have gone with your camera a lot of times and walked about and like took pictures of people, you know, or try to get inspiration at times. Now, I'm not saying you're like incredible, like you don't live there or anything like that, but this is definitely an area town that you know. It's almost like a light version of Skid Row in Hollywood now. It's not as bad as Skid Row because it's Minneapolis, but it's definitely an area where like a lot of junkies reside a lot of street walkers reside and it's usually poor white trash who kind of like stay in this area here not as much as like african-americans that are in the northern side of minneapolis and you as the door closes as you walk out and you hear the bell ring 
you hear her say, I'm going to see you tonight, baby, as the door closes and you're right. in the brisk winter with this folder. Oh, sort of, you know. Dennis just goes outside, throws the cigarette on the ground, stumps it out. It's just like, holy fucking shit. Like, Lauren, like, I, I, I should get my money's worth out of this $200, you know, sending her after Lawrence. $200 is a lot of money in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, too. exactly. I mean, it's a lot of money now, but it's a lot of money in the 80s, you know? Yeah. That's the dedication you have, though. I like this character. Yeah, this yeah, exactly. Just like, oh. do I actually have a contact for the others? Because I don't remember us exchanging numbers. Oh, no, you, we, we said that you all exchange pager numbers. So you have oh, okay. pager numbers. Okay. Now we'll cut back to Keith. So, Keith, you just had this discussion with this Jonathan Chase guy, and you're leaving Ellsworth Towers. What is going on in your head after, like, what you found out talking to him and everything like that? Like, what what, what kind of realizations are you coming to? What's going on in Keith's mind is he's seeing all these pieces coming together, and he's starting to wonder what this is going to turn out to be like he understands that we're supposed to find him but find dustin but is it going to end up being something more and he starts to think about his connections with this deeper more secretive part of brentwood and begins to wonder about his own safety within it oh wow so you're having your first like kind of outs about your own well-being working for these like people that Kenneth is involved with, you know, which is kind of, I'm sure kind of like a, a little disheartening of a feeling because you're in love with someone and you find out that they may be putting you in a situation that may be bringing you harm or they may be involved with this situation. And I'm sure it's kind of like a, like a little shocking feeling, you know, when you're thinking that at first, especially why is it off the books? Why is this not being investigated through like normal HR channels? Because especially with how you meaning Keith was really kind of cutthroat and call, climbing up the ladder you know how the HR process worked. You had people lose their jobs. You know, you got them to lose their jobs. You know how to manipulate it. So to see it's like where it's like, oh, we're not letting HR in on something like this. You're kind of what? Like, that's just kind of a little shocking, I'm sure, because you while you know there's people who really pull the strings, you never think it would get this embedded. Like this, you don't need deep where we totally circumvent this normal corporate infrastructure that all these companies have that everyone like you and all these other people who are climbing up the ranks are aware of. This is almost like, like you said, kind of a disheartening feeling right there, I'm sure, you know, like one of danger. So you walk out the building, you're standing on the sidewalk there. What are you doing right now? Keith will look at his nice big chunky watch and then pull out the numbers for the two, for Dennis and Lewis and start to give them a call, see if they've found anything useful or sorry, it's pager numbers. So he'll send the pager. So you go up to this Ma Bell payphone that's on the corner where Brentwood Industries is at. You walk up to it and you kind of close the door. The door behind you, that sliding door, you hear your clothes, and you're kind of like little. You're you're saved a little bit from the wind that is kind of blowing through the street right now. You go ahead and you put the receiver. It's a little cold to your ear because it's been sitting there in the cold. And you press those metal buttons and you dial these both these gentlemen's pagers and you put in the number that you're at right now for the and you hang up the phone and you wait. We will go with. Lewis, Lewis, as you are driving and you're about back into Minneapolis regular, your your pager kind of starts beeping and you look and you see a number on there. All right, probably might be one of those guys. Probably, yeah, it's my day off, so the minister won't call me at this time. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll find a place to pull pull over and park and see if there's like a payphone nearby I can use. You do. You kind of like pull over into this gas station. And you see that there's a payphone there, and, and and you go in there and you dial the numbers. Keith, while you're sitting in there, you hear about two minutes later the phone ring. Hello? 
Yes, uh, who is this? This is Keith. Oh, yeah, Keith. So, what'd you find? Some very interesting things. I think we should meet up for more coffee. Alright, yeah, I got some uh, more insight into our mutual friend. Not really good, but it's insight. Excellent. Right. At that, I will give the name of... Gosh. Denny's. You're going to say... Yeah, I was yeah Denny's. Say okay, sounds good. All right. So, and then you, Dennis, as you flick your cigarette and you get in your car and you start your car up and you're driving, like within like two minutes, you feel your beeper vibrating. as it, And you look down, you see a phone number on there. All right. So I call it up. I suppose I probably wouldn't be at home yet or... Yeah. So yeah, I'll just find a payphone. They're everywhere at this point, anyways. Yeah, and you're at a payphone, and you see like this older couple walk by, and they're kind of staring at you oddly as you're in the payphone because they're still not used to quite seeing like the '80s hair type mentality going on. As you're sitting on the phone, you just kind of like roll your eyes as you're smoking a cigarette in this payphone. As you hear the phone ring again, Keith, in this payphone that you're in. Yeah. Dennis. Keith. We're meeting up at Denny's. Got some interesting okay. information. Yeah. Same here. Also, well, uh, never mind. Talk about you. Talk to you about it later. Then good. And then click very quickly. So fast forward. We'll cut to you all are now sitting together in Denny's at this table. You guys have cups of coffee in front of you. You're kind of in this quieter corner. It's like around two thirty, or it's around like three thirty now. So you really don't have a lot of people that are in there. So you kind of have a little privacy. Just the waitress who walked and gave you the cup, and she's doing the waitress thing where she knows that you guys are probably talking. So she's only going to impede if she sees anyone's coffee getting low. So seems on you guys. Go ahead. Well, I visited uh, Robert Sanders, which wasn't exactly what I, who I expected to be. Apparently some sort of slumlord or with these, about these shitty properties he deals with. And apparently Dustin had a lease from him. Huh. And still has, in fact, for the next three months. Now, I found out the address, you know. I had to actually pay the dude to give it to me, fucking bastard. Did you guys have to pay anything to get your information? No. Uh, of course. Of course it's only me who gets this... Uh, you know, the, never mind. Man, you, you, know, you need to pay attention to your money. It's, it, not, I swear, these kids these days don't know all these credit card things. Whatever happened to good old-fashioned cash? I swear to God. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I think if we want to check out another of his apartments, one that he probably was keeping secret, uh, I think oh, we might find he was some def- Odds are, I bet he was definitely keeping secrets. I spoke to his ex-wife. He He's not a good man at all. Normally, I'm not really one for divorce, but in this case, she made the right decision. Not a pretty sight. Based on the videos that we saw, that's not surprising. Yeah. So and, you yes. just found out that he's keeping secrets. Yeah, he he, he and the wife split up. That he got ever since he started working at Brentwood. Brentwood turned violent, turned mean, kept secrets. Nothing to do with the, nothing to do with the family anymore. He's out of their lives. How does that make you feel, Keith? Hearing what he just said right there, especially with the realization you had walking after talking to Jonathan Chase. It catches Keith off guard. Maybe he's stirring some creamer into his coffee and getting ready to take a drink and just does a slight pause as Lewis is saying all of this. 
and then continues on. He's just trying to mask it. He doesn't want to show that worry to the other two. He doesn't know them. Doesn't feel like he can trust them. So I'm going to have you give me, Keith, a manipulation and subterfuge, difficulty six. And then the other two, I'm going to have you guys roll perception and empathy. So first, I want to know how many successes Keith gets with his manipulation and subterfuge. Two successes. I got four successes. I got zero. All right. So you notice that pause when you say that, Lewis. He stops with his coffee for a second, and then you see him start sipping. You see what you said kind of got like a little reaction on him. You don't pick that up because you're still like, you don't pick that up, Dennis, because you're still like, man, $200. Like, I had to give $200 for this. Uh, Go ahead. Scene's back on you guys. So, yeah, like, Lewis was quietly following what he said, like, yeah, not so good now, is it, Wall Street boy? Said that out loud? No, no. It's just, oh, it's okay, head. you're just thinking it in your head. Okay, so yeah, you're just, just kind of filing it. Okay, gotcha. Um, he's, he's enjoying a little bit of a, just enjoying a little bit of a, a discomfort. Definitely. So, yes, you guys are all sitting there now still. All right. So, are we going to go to this next apartment then? We should. It looks like it's our only viable location. Yeah, and I'm episode two, Return of the Tapes. I just look. What? Never mind. You wouldn't get it. You are getting a quizzical look from Keith. I sorry. You just keep very strange friends, Keith. Uh huh. And at this, the uh, thoughts of the sparks in uh, Lewis's head. Like, wait. So I know that I know me and this that uh, Delson guy have some commonality. Are these people like me too? And suddenly the idea of like you know them sort of becoming like a dusted and so sort of like sparks a little bit of worry in his head like ooh. Oh, so you are you guys all taking separate cars or are you, I take it yeah, you're still yeah, taking yeah. you're not. I'm not um, I'm not letting Dennis into my car at all. <laughs> you guys aren't on that friendship level, <laughs> so there's no such thing as a ghoul quartery. <laughs> so I'm just playing. You guys all get in your cars. It's about I'd say about four thirty-five, and at this type time of the year, it's starting to get a little like dusk is starting to to be coming around the corner it's starting to set and as you're driving towards the south side you can kind of see the sun kind of setting a little bit on your left and then eventually you start getting into this lower ran down side of of town and it's almost like the gray sky the crispness in the air the feeling of snow that'll soon be snowing and just the grayness that surrounds the city right now seems to even make this part of town a little bit more ran down, a little bit more somber. You know, you're driving along and you see like a convenience store, but you also see like a woman walking with two kids who have like mismatched winter clothes on or like jackets that are too big or grimy and have tears in them. The mother looking like she may be deciding whether or not she should feed her kids or spend the last of her money on a six-pack of PAP so she can forget how hard her life is. And she's drugging them inside the door of an apartment complex. You drive past scenes like this where you see like Randall cars, some that look like they haven't been driven in a while, some that have like tickets that are in the front windshield as if they've been parked there too long. You go through neighborhoods of old homes that are really small and have sinking porches or have like these rusted cast iron fences that go around the front yards that have lawns that aren't raked like the neighborhood you were in earlier, Lewis, or have people sitting on the porch in chairs drinking beer, even though they're bundled up a little bit, they're still not quite seeking the shelter of indoors because the snow hasn't hit the ground yet. And eventually you get to the 
address that Dennis was given. And it is actually a laundry mat on the bottom. And on the top of it, there's an apartment almost like that could be rented out. You see the entrance of the laundromat. You look through these large glass doors that have like an horrible chip paint on like the glass window, you know, laundry, 25 cents a load on top in bright colors. And you see like an old lady that's sitting in there wearing like this, almost like this bathrobe and this like almost like muumu dress kind of who's sitting there just reading a paperback as she's probably waiting for her clothes. And you see like some younger guy with a shaved head and he kind of has like prison tats on his arms as he's sitting there, like moving clothes from his washing machine to his dryer. But you also, as you guys get out, as you're parked along the street and get out onto the sidewalk in front of it, you see, you guys are looking around and you see like there's these metal steps that kind of go up the side of it. The side of the building faces the street. Also, it's like this building's on the corner, the intersection of two streets on the corner. And you guys can see where it goes up and you see that there's a, door that it's up there and you take it that that's where this like little studio apartment is at that dustin was renting what are you guys doing well time to get out of the car yeah uh lewis will get out of his car and make sure to lock it and memorize what where the hell he put it so that way he can like run to it quick if he needs to as he doesn't like looks this neighborhood yeah are there any people outside no there's actually no one outside now not on the street that you're on right now no okay Let's see. Let's go to that apartment. See what see what's there then. You guys walk up to the steps and you go up to the door. Are you guys gonna knock on it? Are you gonna try to open it? What exactly are you guys gonna do? Dennis will probably try to open it. You turn the handle and it's locked right now. At this point, Lewis will just sort of like push Dennis aside and just like, don't you people not know how to knock? And he'll just knock. You knock on the door. You kind of like pound on it. Like you, you see him go up to the door. There's like a little like you go up the steps and there's like a little kind of like a flat walkway to like, you know, where you can open the door. So you guys are kind of like still on the steps as Lewis is knocking and you're knocking Lewis and nothing's happening. Now you can try. Not much good it did you. Well, it's the principle of the thing. If you don't have principles, what the hell are you doing? Oh, you have too many. Well, you're not doing anything, are you? Keith will start to look for obvious places where a key might be hidden. This kind of neighborhood, maybe that's just easy to get to, maybe under the doormat or above the, the door itself. Oh, give me a perception and an invest. No, I'm not going to make you well. What's your perception and your investigation? Let me see here first. So you're like kind of like you lift up the floor mat and you're looking under the floor mat. You're feeling on the top and you don't feel the key on the top. And as you're like kind of looking around, you look and you see that there's like a brick because it's like a brick building that's on the side. That's like a like kind of like two bricks to the left of the door. And you see that it looks a little like it doesn't have that white caulking that goes around bricks. You know, you kind of see that it's a little chipped and you kind of like take it and you pull it out a little bit and you see it slides out easily. And you look in there and you see that there's a set of keys in there and you take it out and you go and you try and open it. And yep, it opens up. Guys are going yeah, we're going right in. Yeah, good right. job, Keith. Good job. So you guys walk in. Oh, hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs Gameplay and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Why have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions, so that your media could give the attention you deserve. 
The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.